0: Welcome, everybody, to week two of Supernatural, this series of messages in which we're exploring some of the more uh, weird and unusual aspects of our faith. Because as Christ followers, our faith, it's a supernatural faith. I mean, yes, we live out our faith in the reality of the natural world. But as Christians, we believe that there is an equally real supernatural world that impacts and influences not only our lives, but the people and circumstances. Around us Now, for those of us who maybe grew up in the church or we've been Christians for a long time, we've, we've kind of normalized these supernatural aspects of our belief. We're, we're used to talking about these stranger things, but if you're kind of outside the church or you're new to the church, you kind of realize as Christians, we believe some pretty weird things stuff, right? And so what we're doing in this series is we're kind of unpacking not all the supernatural things in our faith, because that would take months and months, but we're looking at some of the core supernatural aspects of our faith. And, and we're really looking at the ones that are more focused on the practical impact they have on our very natural, very real daily lives. And so what I want to do today is talk about and focus on the Holy Spirit, the supernatural power and presence of God in our world and in our lives. Now, of course, growing up in the church, I was aware of the Holy Spirit, Which is to say, I was taught about the Trinity, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, God the Father, that made sense to me because I had a father. And I understood the concept of God the Son because I was a son. But I was really confused about God the Holy Spirit. But it didn't seem to be a big deal, at least in my church Because we didn't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. It might show up in a song or a verse we read, but we didn't talk a lot about it. I wasn't really taught about it. And we certainly didn't do anything outwardly because of the Holy Spirit. But my friend who lived down the street at his church, they talked about the Holy Spirit all the time. Only they didn't call him the Holy Spirit, they called him the Holy Spirit ghost. And they did a lot of things because of the Holy Ghost. In fact, I remember one time I spent the night with my friend on a Saturday night. And so I got to go to his church uh, the next morning on Sunday morning and it freaked me out. Like in my church, you didn't talk out you didn't make noise, you didn't disrupt. If you did, you either got the elbow from dad or the stink eye from mom, right? We were just kind of peaceful, quiet, calm, right? But in my friend's church, there were a lot of people not just talking out, they were hollering out they were running up and down the aisles. It was down front. They were dancing, but I didn't hear any music. And they weren't just hollering out like regular English words. They were talking in a language I'd never heard of. And I'm like looking over my friends. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? And it's like, no big deal. They're just full of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, if that's the Holy Spirit, I don't want to have anything to do with that." I was like 11 years old, and I remember thinking, Lord, if you get me out of here, I'll never have anything to do with the Holy Spirit ever again. Now, obviously, as an adult, as I've grown in my faith, and more importantly, as I've grown in my understanding of God's Word, it has become clear to me that the Holy Spirit is not some weird part of faith that's for those people that go to those kinds of churches, that actually the Holy Spirit is an essential Critical part of all of us as Christians. It's critical to our faith. And the reason I believe that is because Jesus said it was. I, I want to show you a couple of passages of scripture of some important things that Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit. The first one is found in John chapter 14, where Jesus is coming the, to the end of his earthly ministry. And so he's kind of preparing his disciples, his 12 closest followers, for what is to come. And that is that he's going to be returning to heaven. Not just going to die and be resurrected, but that he's going to physically no longer be on the earth. He's going to return to the Father. And I'm sure that was freaking them out, right? Because for the last three and a half years, Jesus had been their focus. Like they knew where to go because Jesus told them to go there. They had questions, he answered them. They had problems, he did miracles. And now Jesus said, yeah, I'm going to be headed off, guys. So in there, they're like, whoa, no, that's not good. And look at what Jesus says to them, verses 16 and 17. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. And then check this out and will be in you. A couple things I don't want you to miss there. First of all, Jesus uses the personal pronouns he and him in referring to the Holy Spirit. Now I know these days, you know, pronouns is a big deal, and everybody's worried about what which pronoun goes with what person. But listen, Jesus doesn't use these pronouns to indicate that the, the Holy Spirit is a male, right? The Holy Spirit is God. He's all male and all female. He just wants us to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an entity. Now, I don't mean person like human person like me and you. I mean a person of the Trinity in the same way God the Father, God the Son, or, or the fullness of God in each of them. That is also true of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not God's little errand running ghost that he sends around to, you know, do his bidding. The Holy Spirit is fully God in the same way that Jesus in the flesh was fully God. That's why the Holy Spirit is a person, not an entity, not an it. And then secondly, Jesus says, look, unlike me, who's just been with you these last three and a half years, guys, the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. And that's a big deal. Like I remember as a kid thinking, how cool would it be to have Jesus with you? And I don't mean in a metaphysical, you know, kind of, I'm not really like physically there, like the people who lived in the first century, like the disciples. How cool would that be to have Jesus literally physically with you? It'd be awesome, right? You got a problem, boom, he'll solve it. You hungry? He'd pick up rocks and turn them into Twinkies, right? Somebody's sick, he can heal. You want to know what step to take, who to marry, what to go? Just ask him. And I'm sure that's what the disciples were thinking. I appreciate this idea of the Holy Spirit coming and living in us, Jesus, but could you just stay? We're more comfortable with you. That seems better for us. But look at what Jesus says, John 16, 7. Jesus says, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Jesus said, this is better for you. And i said, well, how is that better? Well, again, Jesus' words, Acts one It's better because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Don't miss this. Because of the Holy Spirit in us as believers, We get to move from witnesses to the kingdom of God to participants in the kingdom of God. right? For the people in the first century who were there when Jesus was physically on this earth, they they saw, they were witnesses to the kingdom of God moving forward. They they saw the power of God. But after Pentecost, the believers, all the believers, now were participants in the kingdom of God moving forward. Forward. Why? Because the power of God resided in them and it resides in us. So I want to spend just a few minutes kind of where I want to start today. It's just some practical things that the Holy Spirit gives me power to do. Because of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but in my opinion, these are the most practical ways the Holy Spirit gives us power in our daily lives. One, the first one is, the Holy Spirit gives me power to know and do God's will. The Holy Spirit in me gives me the power to know and do God's will. And I'm thankful for that because that's the number one question people ask me as a pastor. How can I know God's will? How can I know what God wants me to do? Now, if you've been around Cedar Creek for any length of time, you kind of know my answer to that. There's several ways that we can know God's will. We can know God's will through his word because God's will is in his word. We can also know God's will through the people he brings in our lives. Other believers that connect with us relationally. And they can often help us see the right decisions that that God's will, the right thing to do in our lives. But the number one way that God reveals his will to us and gives us the power to do it is through his Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus' words, John 16 Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will what? What does that say? Guide you. What does it say? Thank you. He will guide you into all the details of who to marry, what house to buy, should you borrow this money, what job to take. Is that what it says? He will guide you into what? All the truth. The truth. How does he do that? This is really cool. Don't miss this. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. In other words, he said the Holy Spirit, because he's in you, gives you access to God's perspective. God's perspective on your circumstances, God's perspective on your future, and what is coming. Here's the best analogy I can give you for this. I have to go all the way back to my days as a high school football coach. Obviously, as coaches on game night, most of us were on the sidelines with the players. But we always made sure to put a couple of coaches all the way up high on top of the press box. Why would we put coaches up there separated from the team? Can you, what, could you think of the answer? Right, they see more. It's a better perspective. I don't know if you've ever been on the sidelines with a football game. Worst seats in the house. You can hardly see anything. But they were able to say, look, they're lining up this way. Or you got, you know, a a one more yard for a first down. Or so-and-so's loafing when he's on the other side of the field where you can't see him. They had a better perspective. And we had headphones and microphones. We could hear and talk to them. And they could tell us what we could not see. That's what Jesus is saying. The Holy Spirit's in the presence of God. He is God. He can see better for you. Now, I have yet to be able to find the headset and microphone that would give me a direct line to the Holy Spirit. Not saying God doesn't speak audibly. What I'm saying is I've never experienced that. But here's how the Holy Spirit guides, at least for me. And it's hard to explain because it is kind of weird, but these promptings. Right? These these things inside they're like a voice, you know, There's not, not an audible, but like a voice like, yeah, yeah, that's a good no danger, Will Robinson. Don't go down that road or hey, that might be a good decision. It's these promptings and listen, now, now don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about when the Holy Spirit comes into us that it turns us into mindless zombie robots. I'm not saying you become a character in a video game, and God's up there with a joystick directing everything you do, because it looked just like those coaches, we could ignore what they were telling us. Sometimes we did, and most of the time it didn't end, well, same way in our lives. Remember I mean, when our kids were little I mean, teenagers, middle school. Sometimes they just did some of the most ridiculous, dangerous stuff, and you're like, what were you thinking? Like I remember asking, I don't remember which one it was, but I remember asking one of the boys, listen, when you were moving the trampoline in the backyard to move it up against the side of the house because you planned to climb up on the roof and jump off and see what would happen, when you were going through that and doing that, at any point, did a little voice inside your head say, no, bad idea? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, well, why did you do it? He said, because the other voices were louder, and in that, how it is for us, we drowned out the voice of God through the Holy Spirit, because we listen to culture, we listen to our own selfish desires. God's Holy Spirit gives me the power to know and to do God's will, and that's the second thing: the Holy Spirit gives me the power to live a holy life, to live a holy life. Now, I'm pretty sure most of us in here would not use the word holy to describe our lives, right? It's probably not the number one adjective you think of when you look at yourself in the mirror. The reason you don't think of yourself as holy is because you misunderstand what holy is. You think holy means perfect, no mistakes, no flaws, no bad, but that's not what holy means, Anytime the Bible calls something on this earth holy, it doesn't mean perfect. It means set apart, unique, different, made different for a specific purpose. It's holy. That's what it means to live a holy life. Doesn't mean to be perfect. It means to just live differently. To march to the beat of a different drummer than the world around us. To listen to the voice of God himself and not the culture and the news and the people around us. That's what it means to live holy. Live differently. The number one way to live differently than the culture and world around us today just be unselfish. Just be, that's different, right? To, to think of others oh, like the series we did a couple of weeks ago. We wrapped it up. Right? No greater love? To put the needs of another ahead of my own? That's radically different than the culture and world around us. And listen, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live that way, to live unselfishly when we are naturally selfish and everything around us tells us to be selfish. In fact, look at Romans 8:5. It says, Those who live according to the flesh, have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance, listening to, tuned in with the Spirit, have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Key phrase, mindset. Mindset. The Holy Spirit can change my mindset. Give me a new motivation. The Holy Spirit puts a different driving force in my life to live differently than the people around me. How many of you have at least one thing about yourself that you'd really like to change? Now look, I'm not talking about your physical appearance, your age, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about like your character, your personality, your tendencies, your flaws, your struggles, your weaknesses. How many of you have at least one part of your life in that area you'd like to change. Can I say, yeah, it's like universal. And how many of you would say that kind of change is hard, right? The same number of hands, right? It's hard to change because we think changing the outside will change the inside. But true and lasting change has to start on the inside, right? It's probably easier to lose 100 pounds than to change your mindset about how you look, think, and are comforted by food, right? You can't change from the, I mean, you can for a short period of time, but true lasting change, being transformed, being a different person has to start from the inside out. And the Holy Spirit gives you the power to make those kind of changes. Notice Galatians 5, 16 says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, which we just talked about, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That's why the first two steps of any 12-step program is one, admit that there is a problem, and secondly, admit that you are powerless to change that on your own. If that inside kind of transformation change were easy, we'd all be dramatically different people. But the Holy Spirit gives us the power to make that kind of change. But the bad news is you got to be willing to surrender to experience that kind of change. So what are you trying to change in your own power? Maybe is there a relationship, and you just keep trying to fix it, and the more you try to fix it on your own, the worse it gets. Maybe it's that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter, that prodigal parent, that prodigal sibling, and you just want them to stop making those destructive decisions, and you keep trying to change them, and it just makes it worse, not better. Or maybe if you're like me, there's some hurts, there's some habits, there's some hang-ups that have kind of drive the way you think about yourself and the way you react or respond to others, and, and you want to change those, but it just keeps falling back into default. Whatever that true transformational inside-out change is, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do that. And then because of that, the third thing the Holy Spirit gives us power to do is to make a difference to make a difference in this world. All of us want to do that, right? We all want to be a positive influence. We all want to make a difference to leave a legacy, right? Nobody grows up going, well, I want to live completely anonymous, help no one, and die unknown with an unmarked grave, right? Nobody wants that. We all want to make a difference. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit gives you the power to make a lasting positive difference in the people and world around you. And so how does that happen, Philip? Well, the Bible says it's through special gifts, supernatural gifts that the Bible refers to as spiritual gifts. Check out 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, a spiritual gift is given to those who are really talented and are on staff at the church. It's not what it says, right? Gives a, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Many English translations so say to benefit the church, the body of Christ. You're know like, Phil, what are you talking about? What are these spiritual gifts? Well, they're listed throughout the, the Bible, but they're two pretty comprehensive lists. You might want to write these passages down so you can go see these lists of uh, spiritual gifts. One's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a really good list of spiritual gifts there. And then there's one in Romans chapter 12. And I want to encourage you to go read those passages. You'll see almost a list right there. And here's what's going to happen when you read it. You're going to be like, now, some of these just seem like natural talents and abilities. Leadership, hospitality, administration, mercy. You're like, yeah, that's just kind of like people are born with that. But then some of them, you go, now, that's supernatural. Right? Like prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, you know, like healing. You're like, "Now that, that seems supernatural, but the rest of the stuff just seems like natural ability. See what happens? We get hung up on the supernatural ones, right? The really sexy gifts, right? Like, ooh. Or we get all controversial, like, "I wonder, is that tongues and healing? Is that real? Or is that just for the apostles? Is that gone now?" That misses the point. And the point is this, all spiritual gifts are supernatural. Every human being on the planet has abilities and talents. And yes, they are given to them by God. But it is only believers who have spiritual gifts. And sometimes they can be the same. One is a natural talent and one is obviously a spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's an example, me. One of my spiritual, supernatural spiritual gifts is leadership. And you say, well, that's that's like a, you're born like that, right? Some people are just natural born leaders. Yes, I'm just not one of them. I'm, I'm not a leader. You go back and look at my report cards like in elementary school and middle school. There's not one comment from a teacher that says this boy's going places. Yeah, natural born leader. No, what it says is God bless you. We hope he survives. Philip is a really good follower, but he's not a good leader. My point is, any and every bit of leadership that ever comes out of me is a supernatural gift of God. There are tons of people that are great leaders. It's natural. But supernatural gifts, the power of God, come from the Holy Spirit. Bottom line, if you're a Christ follower... You have one or more of these spiritual gifts. They were given to you by God to make a difference in the congregation, the campus, the body of Christ that you are a part of. And if you're not using those gifts, there is something that God wants done in your campus that's not being done because you're not using those gifts. Now, some of you say, well, I don't know what my gifts are. Well, great. We can help you. We can come alongside you. We have some tools that can help you do that. All you got to just reach out to your home group leader and say, hey, can you help me kind of discern and work through my spiritual gifts? And you say, well, I don't have a home group leader. Another reason to get connected with a home group. Because look, discovering your spiritual gifts is not just filling out some kind of test or survey and getting a magic answer. Because you know as well as I do, you can skew those tests, can't you? Those personality tests. You can make them say whatever you want them to say. But being in authentic community with other believers, they know what's real about you. And they can help encourage you to see the unique supernatural spiritual gifts that God has given you. And they can help you take steps to allow God to use you to make an eternal difference. Now look, we all want these things, right? Everybody wants to know and do God's will. We all want power to make real inside out changes. We all want to make a difference. The question is how? How does this happen? Do I just magically get all this when I prayed and gave my life to Jesus and got saved? No, there's some practical things we have to do. allow the Holy Spirit to fill and flow through us. And I'm going to just give you four things, kind of, I hate to even say four steps, because it's not really a formula, it's just kind of a process of how to live life. And what I love about these four is they're the same for all of us, right? If you're not a believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, these are kind of the four things that are essential in order to receive not only salvation, but the Holy Spirit that comes with that salvation. If you are a believer, these things have to be done repetitively day in and day out. So let's jump into four ways to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One, you got a desire to be filled. you got to want it. God's not going to force it on you. He's not going to come down from the press box and take over, calling the plays in the game. But he has put a desire in you. The Bible says he's put a desire in every human being to connect with him. That's why there's some form of worship in every culture throughout the world, throughout all of history. The question is, are you gonna act on that desire that he's placed in your heart? Great picture of this in John chapter seven. And this is one of those passages of scripture where you really gotta get the context to see how amazing this is. And the context of John chapter seven is something called the Feast of Tabernacles. This was an annual celebration Of the nation of Israel, it still is. But in this time, when there was a temple, everybody would go to Jerusalem for the week, and the big crescendo, the climax of this feast of this week long feast, was everybody went up to the temple, and the high priest would take these two huge golden pitchers. And they would take those pitchers, and they would process everybody down to the pool of Siloam. They would fill these pitchers up with the water, and then they would march everybody back up to the temple. And then one by one, they would pour out the water on the altar. And they did that for two reasons. One, first, to symbolize that they were, as an agricultural community, that they were thanking God for the blessing. He poured out the rain. Right? And without that, they don't survive. They don't live like the blessing of life in that water. But they also were symbolizing a promise, a prophecy from God that one day he said, I will pour out my spirit on you on your sons and daughters. I'm going to pour my spirit out. And so with that, pouring out that second picture, they were saying, come on, God, we need it. We're ready. Fulfill that promise. So imagine that's exactly what's going on. And look at what Jesus does. Start with verse 37. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit. In other words, Jesus said, let your desire for that quenching, for that God to really move, let that bring you to me. It's got to start with a desire. But it doesn't end there. The second thing we have to do, we have to be willing to repent of our sins. You have to repent of our sins. You know, I hate it that repent... It's such a negative word in our culture today like I say repent and you see the angry bullhorn guy with the sign turn or burn your badge you're going to hell if you don't change but that's not what the word means it's been hijacked the word repent literally means just turn around stop going the way you're going and come home to me that's what the prodigal son did right Got sick and tired of slopping pigs in the mud and just got up and said, I'm going home. The worst people there in my father's home have it better than this. That's all Jesus is saying. Come home. I love this in Jeremiah 2, verse 13. God says, my people have committed two sins. They have have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What's he talking about? Well, a cistern was a hole you dug to try to get to water. It's like a well. You're digging down to try to hit a spring and get fresh, clean water. Well, they didn't always hit water, and so sometimes they had these dry, empty holes, and they didn't fill them back in. They just left these holes in the ground, and over time, rainwater and runoff would fill these cisterns, but the water was filthy and stagnant and bad. And God said, why do you keep drinking out of the mud hole when I provide an artesian well for you? Why you keep trying to quench your thirst with the, the dirty, muddy water that will never satisfy you when I'll pour out more than you can drink? So this personal question right now: What mud hole do you keep going back to? What, what mud hole do you keep drinking from to try to satisfy that thirst? The mud hole of performance? I could just behave good enough. I can just get enough applause, enough affirmation, if I can get enough people to think I'm really important, then 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 I won't be thirsty. Or maybe it's money and, and stuff, right? If I could just get a little more, make a little bit more, have a little bit more, if I could just, just a little bit more, but it keeps leaving you thirsty. Or maybe it's the mud hole of religion. I can just be good enough, behave enough, follow enough rules, do all the right things, go through all the right rituals. Whatever that mud hole is, through the Holy Spirit, you are invited to stand under the fountain of God Almighty and have your thirst quenched. It's not a one time thing. Yes. You must come to a place in your life where you repent and receive Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's not a one and done. It's a daily repentance. It's a daily going, I'm not drinking out of that mud hole today. I'm headed back to the well. I'm headed back to my father's house. And that's really the third thing we have to do to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to yield yourself to God. Yield yourself to God. I looked up the word yield on the Google and it told me that yield means to give another the right of way. That's kind of what you do in the road, right? You you yield, they get to go. You can't go till they're done going. Jesus puts it this way, Mark 8, 34. If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny, he must yield himself, take up his cross and follow me. In other words, my life needs to be more about Jesus and less about me. In the words of John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. In the words of Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the will. Yield, yield. God's Holy Spirit is all around you. We're running around trying to gin up. Holy Spirit, move. Holy, I wish the Holy Spirit would work him on. The Holy Spirit is all around you. He ain't the problem. I am. Here's why. I am cre- Like this sponge, it is created and designed to soak up water. You put it in water, you put it near water, it's going to pull that water in every time. That's why it's designed that way. So I put this sponge in water, it'll be soaked full of water, won't it? Let's try that. Uh-oh. Nothing in there. You know why? Even though it's designed... I covered it with me what I want and you can come to services and revivals and pray and do everything else but if you don't yield if you don't open that hand you'll stay dry but if you do as you do all of a sudden you begin to be filled with the power of his spirit and it overflows into the lives of people around you That's really the fourth thing we have to do. Trust him enough to open our hands to the stuff we're trying to control. That's number four. We have to trust God's promises. The more you trust him, the more you open that hand, the more he fills you and flows through you. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How are you doing on that? How would you kind of rate yourself right now? Do you know how you can know if you've got the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're allowing the Holy Spirit in you? It's really easy. The Bible says there is a list of symptoms when the Holy Spirit fills you. This is what shows up in your life. Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the positive test of the Holy Spirit flowing through you. Who doesn't want more of that? But that fruit doesn't come from just showing up on Sundays and singing hallelujah, taking a few notes, talking about it with other people at home group. It requires a willingness to take the next step. Take the next step. What does that look like for you? You got a relationship, you got a financial situation, you got something you need to stop trying to control and open that hand. Maybe for you it's that mud hole you keep going back to and it's time to turn and go home. I don't know what your next step is. Maybe for some of you, your next step is that very first step of faith to yield, to surrender, to say, Jesus, I am sick and tired. I've been doing it on my own and I am screwing it up. I don't understand all this. I'm not even 100% sure I believe all this stuff Pastor Philip's saying, but if you're real, show yourself to me, come into my life. I want that forgiveness that your death on the cross gives. And I want to be filled with the spirit that grows fruit like that in my life. If that's your next step, we'd love to talk with you about it. We'd love to celebrate it. With you. In fact, that's why in a couple of weeks on November 27th, we're having baptism services at all of our campuses. Baptism is how we celebrate that transforming receiving of salvation. It's a symbol of being dunked in the water open-handed and being filled with his spirit. You can sign up on the app or get a conversation going with somebody around you. I don't know what your next step is. I struggle every day to know what mine is. But I want to live a little more open-handed. I'm tired of trying to control everything and everyone. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That's what I want. And I'm pretty sure it's what you want as well. Jesus said, you thirsty? Come and drink. Come to me and drink. Would you pray with me? Wow, well, Jesus, thank you that this topic that so many people have made so complicated through all the centuries of Christian history and theology, your words just make it so clear and so inviting. So Father, help us today to not just walk away going we know a little bit more about the Holy Spirit, but help us leave here today knowing what we need to let go of, where we need to yield, where we need to trust, where we need to listen. Help us see what you see and help us recognize that some of the things we think are good and righteous in our lives are mud holes that are leaving us empty. We need your power not just to see these things, but we need your power to take these steps. So that's our prayer, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.